Welcome to People's Church. Before we get to this week's message with Pastor Tom Murray, we want you to know that you matter to your Heavenly Father and you matter to us. People's Church is a multi-generational faith community in Salem, committed to knowing Christ and making Him known. Sunday morning worship services at our Salem campus are at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Watch messages anytime and plan your visit at peopleschurch.com. We pray this practical biblical teaching is encouraging, challenging, and possibly even life-changing. Well, hello. It is so good to start the week with you. Welcome or welcome back to People's Church. I want to extend a special welcome to those who are new or newer to People's Church. Maybe you're just checking us out today. We know it is a huge step to uh, come into a new church family and to feel it out. So uh, we want to welcome you. If you've been around for a minute, could you put your hands together with me and welcome those who are new or newer. We're so glad that you are here. On the other end of the spectrum, you could say, I want to speak to those who are members of the church. To be a member is to be a stakeholder in the mission and the vision of the church. And we're thankful for the legacy of membership over our 70 plus years of people's church history. Tonight, members, is our annual business meeting. Uh, We do this once a year. That's why it's called the annual business meeting. And um, it's where you have a chance to bring voice and vote to the biggest issues that are facing our church, including voting on uh, the three open deacon positions that we have in the church. So if you are a member, uh, please come tonight. As part of this vision weekend, we celebrate what God has done and what he is doing in our church. Uh, If you're just curious about how this all works, you are invited to come to our annual business meeting It starts at 6 o'clock tonight. Uh, I'd encourage you to come about 5.30 to get your packet and to get your seat and to uh, get ready for the for the proceedings this evening. And maybe you're here and uh, you've been around for a few weeks or a few months and you're saying, I want to take the next step into plugging into life in the church. It's possible that when you come, it seems like, man, they have everything taken care of. We are thankful that you feel that way, and also uh, we need additional uh, people that desire to use their spiritual gifts to serve the kingdom in every area of the church. So uh, please don't think that everything is taken care of and you're not needed. In fact, we're only as healthy as the contributions of our people, and what I mean by that is the contributions of our spiritual gifts to serve the church. So if it is your heart to take the next step in the plugging into the life of the church, if it's your desire to become a member of the church, the very first step is to be part of our Rooted group, Rooted. And Rooted begins on the first Sunday of every month, so it will start next Sunday at 10 o'clock in one of the uh, rooms that's right over by the coffee shop, uh, the coffee area. And uh, so if you would like to take that step, we invite you to be part of Rooted starting next Sunday. And also, as we get ready for our annual business meeting tonight, we want to welcome those who, for the first time, have said that they want to be members of the church. And we have a list of their names to show you today. All of these friends, 
friends have taken the step to become members this year, and we welcome them to their very first annual business meeting as members tonight. Can we welcome them into membership? Well, let's open up God's Word together. Let's get our Bibles out. It's a great idea to bring your Bible with you to church. Some of you like to bring it on uh, your phone, on your app. I invite you to open up the Bible app. Uh, and it's also a great idea to take some notes. It's possible, even likely, that the Holy Spirit is going to give you something today that you're going to want to remember. And if you're anything like me, I often forget what I'm supposed to remember minutes after I insist that I'm going to remember it. So it's a good idea to write it down. There is a, a statement or a reality. It's only a four-word a four statement, four words, four very simple words. And for some of us, this very simple phrase, we would say this phrase, this statement, this reality has been one of the greatest sources of comfort and stability in our entire life. We would say that this statement or this phrase is what has got us through our darkest, most difficult, most saddest seasons of our life. And maybe you would say this phrase is getting you through a difficult thing that you are going through right now today. What's so interesting is this same four-word phrase or reality that I'm going to give you in just a moment. For others, you would say that you actually really struggle with this reality. It's hard to get your mind around and almost in an opposite way, you would say that in your darkest, most difficult days, this four word statement, this four word reality has been something that has been difficult to come to grasp with. And so this is the four word reality, four word statement. God is in control. God is in control. Now, the folks who might say amen to that, and I hope that there are many of us who would say amen to the statement, God is in control. That's a great place. <laughs> Father, I'll just keep to preaching. Open their ears. God is in for, for those of us who would say amen, and I'm not trying to force you to say amen if you don't want to, but those of us who would say amen to the statement, God is in control, the reason that we would say amen is because that reality, that phrase is what has brought us through the darkest, saddest, most difficult seasons of our life, that God is in control. God is in control, we would say, has brought trust and peace and reassurance that God is at work even when we're up against incredible challenges or setbacks. God is in control, speaks to the reality that God has a plan for us individually and God has a plan for humanity. And when we face difficulty, there's this reassurance that a good God is in control who has ways that are greater than our own ways. In that statement, that reality, God is in control, there's a freedom. There's a freedom because it means that we don't have to control everything. And many of us would say, when it comes to the reality that God is in control, we have a personal experience or a personal encounter with God where the Lord has supernaturally seen us through something and there's no other explanation than God's control or authority over the situation that helped us get through whatever it is. And this reality, this statement, God is in control, is an assurance an assurance that our life is in the hands of a present, powerful, and faithful God. 
So, well, many of us would hear that phrase, God is in control, and we can speak to how we've experienced that in our life. There are others in our life, and maybe this is you today, when you hear that, God is in control, you would say that you actually struggle with that, that it's difficult for you to get your mind around and to understand because of reasons like if God is in control, if God is in control, then why do bad things happen to good people? And if God is in control, why are there things like child abuse, school shootings, terrorism, or natural disasters that cause mass casualty? And for you, maybe it's not theoretical, it's actually very personal, and very honestly, from a very sincere heart, you have asked the question out loud, or at least thought the question, Lord, if you are in control, why has this happened to me? Maybe you're saying, Lord, why have I, if you're in control, why have I had to go through this in my past? Why am I going through this right now? And you're not asking it in a way that mocks God, but you're asking it from a sincere heart. Lord, uh, if you're in control, why is this happening? Or maybe you'd say, Lord, if you are in control, why is it that right now you seem so distant? Why is it that you seem even uncaring about what I am facing? So we immediately sense this tension or realize that there is a tension around the reality that God is in control. And so this is where we rejoin our series, God the Father, God the Father. One God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, again, if we like to control everything, uh, the mystery of the Trinity, uh, we're never going to fully understand this. But there is a trinity, a way that uh, this is how we understand God, one God in three persons. So we may never fully understand how this all works, but we do understand the concept of father and son. We do get the concept of a father and his children, a dad and his children. And one of Jesus' closest followers, when he walked the earth, John, writes in the opening lines of his gospel account, John chapter 1, verse 12, to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, to all who received Jesus, who believed in his name, the name of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. Of all the ways that God could have relationship with his creation, of all the ways that God could have relationship with humanity, the path that God has chosen is to be a heavenly father to sons and daughters. He wants you to have relationship with him as a loving heavenly father. And what's so good is that this relationship is available to everyone, to all who receive him. Remember, the Bible says that it's our heavenly father's desire that no one, no one should perish, but that all would have everlasting life. And so there's this understanding, even universal understanding, of fatherhood, of parenting. And maybe you'd say, I just did not have a great relationship with my earthly dad. I didn't have a great relationship, or I don't have a relationship with my my earthly dad, or maybe I never even knew my earthly father. Yet somehow we still understand the concept of what a good dad is supposed to be. Loving, affectionate, patient, a protector, a source of wisdom, the provider, consistent and constant and reliable. What's true of human dads, as we talked about last week, what's what's true about human dads and their love, or sadly sometimes their lack of love, 
their, their relationship with their children is revealed through their interactions with their children over time. The love of a father is revealed through his interactions with his children. And so the love of our heavenly father, the love of our heavenly father is revealed through his interactions with his children. And those of us who would say today we are sons and daughters of a loving heavenly father, we would say we have experienced that in, in our own life. We've experienced, we understand the love of our heavenly father through his interactions with us. And what also is so amazing is we have recorded in our Bible the interactions of our heavenly father with humanity, not just over the course of a few decades, but over the course of history, over thousands of years. And what's even more incredible is that when we read about accounts in the Bible, historical real events that happened thousands of years ago, we are reading about the same God who is in control today. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Us, those of us who are human dads, we're trying to figure this out as we go along. Whoops. Oh, my, these are my stickers to check out my kids. Those of us who are human dads, we're trying to figure this out as we go along. That's not true with our Heavenly Father. He's not trying to figure this out as he goes along. He already, he's always known what he's doing. So, don't miss this. When we read an Old Testament account of God the Father interacting with his people, that is the same God who desires to move and to work in our life today. So I invite you to open with me to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18. And I want to give us just a little bit of runway before we actually look at Jeremiah 18. For those uh, who are gathered with us today, and you'd say that you actually struggle at some level with the concept of uh, a loving heavenly father, God who is in control, you struggle with that reality or that statement because of evil in the world or because of pain that you have lived through in your own life. Well, I would first of all want to say that we don't want to minimize, we do not want to minimize the pain that you have lived through or that you have gone through by giving an answer that seems overly simplified, that may come off as trite or uncaring. We would want you to hear this. It is not anything new to wrestle with the link between the suffering of this world and a good God who is in control. Humanity has wrestled with this for centuries. In fact, when you read through the Psalms, I'm thankful for the Psalms because they're not all sunshine and roses, that the Psalms actually reveal some really deep wrestling of the human heart with, with God. Psalm 44, for example, is incredibly transparent. It may, it's, it even at times is uncomfortably honest as one who is pursuing God for prevention and intervention and a crying out with, Lord, where, where are you? Listen to this, Psalm 44, verses 23 and 24. You will not see these verses painted on a weathered piece of wood at Hobby Lobby. Wake up, O Lord, why do you sleep? Get up, do not reject us forever. Why do you look the other way? Why do you ignore our suffering and our oppression? 
God promises, God promises that there is a time limit to evil and suffering in this world. That eventually time for the enemy will run out. Evil and suffering will be brought to an end. Look at Revelation 21 verse 4. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So when we see suffering and evil in the world, praise the Lord, there is a time limit on all of that. Eventually it will come to an end in his perfect timing. And also I would ask you to think about this. When we think about evil and suffering in the world, how is it that we know what is evil and what is good? How, what is it that gives us the ability to differentiate between what is evil and what is good? Well, what we as followers of Christ would believe is that our Heavenly Father actually wired us so that when we see things or experiencing things that are evil, we can tell this is evil. God gives us that. We have the ability to differentiate, differentiate between the good and the evil in the world because of the way that the Lord has wired us. What also is maybe helpful today, early followers of Christ viewed at least certain pain, hardship, and distress not as a curse, but as a blessing. Because they saw something in suffering, they saw something in common with Jesus Christ, their Savior who suffered. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Paul's writing to the church in Colossae, and he says, I am glad when I suffer. This is not something most of us go around saying. I am glad when I suffer, Paul writes. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. Now you've already got your finger there in Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah comes in the pages of history about 600 years before Jesus walked the earth. And when Jeremiah enters history, generation after generation, not just one person, not even a group of people, but an entire nation that was supposed to be God's people. Generation after generation, they had rejected God's good ways. And as a result, they were on the verge of being conquered and taken captive by a foreign army. And what was true then remains true today. It's possible, it's possible that groups reject God, they want nothing to do with God, they ignore God, they mock God, and they mock God's people, and then when something bad happens, they say, Lord, where are you? It's possible to live rejecting God and then become angry, upset, or dismissive when he does not intervene or prevent in the way that we think that he should. Now, Jeremiah, talk about a challenging life. Jeremiah lived a challenging life. For his life, he lived approved by God, but rejected by people. Approved by God, but rejected by people. And the way that Jeremiah makes the connection between God the Father and relationship to the suffering of the world, Jeremiah 17, 17, Jeremiah writes, you alone are my hope in the day of disaster. So Jeremiah doesn't write from a perspective that there never is going to be any hardship, that there's never going to be any disaster, but Jeremiah recognizes that when the difficult day comes, 
My hope, Jeremiah says, is in my heavenly father. In fact, my only hope is in you. So over and over, Jeremiah is crying out, he's calling out, he's warning the people, you must repent, you must turn away from your selfish ways, and you must turn toward this God who loves you. And the people over and over and over, generation after generation, they refuse to listen. And in this season, they're refusing to hear the warnings that the Lord is speaking through Jeremiah. As we look, and as we go after understanding of a God who is in control, I believe that the Bible and our Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit uh, may want to speak to those of us today who would say that at least in some area of our life, we gravitate toward really enjoying being in control. In fact, some of us will admit that at least in some area, we might describe ourselves almost like a badge of honor that we'd say, I'm a control freak. And and what we mean by that is that there's at least some area where we like to be involved in all the details and we like to be engaged in all the planning, highly organized, attentive to details because we see that that produces success. So how many of us would say that at least in some area of life, we are a little bit or a lot of control freak? Now, some of you are raising your hands. Some of you are pointing at the person next to you. We may describe someone else as a control freak and it's not a positive thing. This is a person who wants to be in charge of every situation, they want to be in charge of every event, and they want to be in charge of every person in their life. And maybe someone has told you that you act like a control freak and it's not a compliment because they perceive that you are trying to micromanage everything and everyone and you are driving everybody nuts. And you get, you, get, you get anxious and you get agitated when things don't go your way. So you find that your default is to go to criticism or, or you find yourself saying the phrase, I'll, I'll just do it myself. I'll just do it myself. Or maybe you find yourself uh, constantly offering advice to others even when they don't ask for advice. I want to breathe something into your life today that you may find freeing. I hope you find freeing. You are not responsible for every outcome and every burden is not yours to carry. Wow, that's good news for somebody here today. You are not responsible for every outcome and every burden in the world is not yours to carry. One of the rebellions that was happening in Jeremiah's day uh, was a rejection of God's plan for the Sabbath. There was a rejection of God's plan for the Sabbath. The Sabbath, God worked for seven days. On the seventh day, he rested. And he gave us this model that we work for six days. And on the seventh day, we have a day of rest. If you want to read all about how God's people were getting this wrong, you can read about it in Jeremiah 17. A quick summary. Uh, God tells Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you need to go to the gate. And I'm going to give you a message to tell the people that are coming through the gate. And Jeremiah says, okay, just one gate? Uh, No, you're actually going to go to all the gates of the city, but you're going to start at the gate that the king comes in and out of. Okay, I'm going to go to the gate. What is the message that I'm going to give them? And God tells Jeremiah the message that you're going to give the people is that they need to stop working on the Sabbath. Stop doing business on the Sabbath. 
And Jeremiah is supposed to go and declare this at every gate around the city. Now, this is kind of like if it was in today's context, Jeremiah, I need you to go to the mall. And I need you to tell all the retailers that they need to stop selling things on the Sabbath. They need to stop working on the Sabbath. Okay, just the mall? Nope. I need you to also go to Target, to Walmart, to Home Depot, to Lowe's, and to Costco. Now, some of you, the list was okay until I got to Costco. Because you're like already thinking about that $2 pizza slice that you are going to eat immediately after church is over. You like have the trunk cleared out because you're going from church to Costco. You're like, pastor, please, not Costco. Jeremiah 17, verse 27. But if you do not listen to me and refuse to keep the Sabbath holy... And if on the Sabbath day you bring loads of merchandise through the gates. Now I have to admit when I read this phrase, bring loads of merchandise through the gates, I thought of our last visit to Costco. If on the Sabbath day you bring loads of merchandise through the gates of Jerusalem, just as on the other days, then I will set fire to these gates. The fire will spread to the palaces and no one will be able to put out the roaring flames. God has this great idea for the Sabbath. And yet we still struggle with, with this plan that God gives us. That's so God's like, please just rest for one day. <laughs> one day a week to set aside the concerns and the stresses of daily life. And on that day instead to have rest and renewal and to focus on spiritual, the spiritual through worship, through rest, through family, and through community. And so this, this whole thing around the Sabbath rolls right into another message that God gives Jeremiah. And it's like the Lord says to Jeremiah, we're going on a field trip. We're going on a field trip. Pack your brown bag lunch We're going on a field trip. We are going to the potter's house. God uses a field trip to expose the nation's spiritual condition. God is going to speak to Jeremiah and now through us, through something that happens in everyday life at the time, the making or the creation of pottery. So Jeremiah heads to the potter's house, to the potter's shop, And God is going to speak through what Jeremiah sees. And Jeremiah finds the potter. He's working at the wheel. God's people, they were not getting the message through traditional places of worship. So let's go on a field trip. We're going to the potter's house. God uses a common place for an uncommon purpose to speak his word. Jeremiah 18.4. And the vessel he was making, the potter, the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Now, I have some video to share with you today of a potter who is at work at a potter's wheel. And I want to show this to you for you to watch as we talk about some truths about the making of pottery. When Jeremiah first comes upon the potter's house, the potter takes what he'd been working on and he stops and he starts over again. This is important. The problem is not with the potter's skill. The problem was with the clay. The clay wasn't ready yet 
to be shaped into what the potter wanted to create. The problem is not with the potter's skill. The problem was with the clay. The clay needed more work. When we watch what is occurring here, there is a lump of clay, essentially mud from the earth, and in this early stage, there is little or no value. We would say this is not useful for anything around our house. What is true in the beginning? What is true in the beginning is the clay is hard and the clay is tough. That clay, it is hard and it is tough until when? It is hard and tough until when? It is hard and tough until it enters into the potter's hand. This is a lot of spinning, by the way. <laughs> a lot of preparation of the clay. Uh, and I, So hopefully he'll get to the next step. <laughs> For now, man, this is a lot. Are we sure we don't just have like three seconds on repeat? So there's this preparation of the clay, and that clay is hard and tough. Oh, here we go. Until, until it is touched by the potter's hand. Now what once was hard and tough becomes soft, and it becomes flexible. Some clay, come on church, some clay is harder than others. <laughs> it takes time, it takes more time, it takes more care. Now the potter prepares the clay to become something new. It requires, what does it require? What is, it requires pressure. You see the potter is putting pressure on the bowl and also creating this shape requires patience, purpose, and a plan. That potter, he knew what this was gonna look like when that was still just a lump of clay. The potter has time, patience, purpose. And he has a plan. And do you also see that the clay, the clay does not fight back. And what happens? It becomes sturdy. And as it is shaped for the purpose that it is designed to carry out. And just as the potter has the right to choose to do what he wants with that clay, God has the right to lead and to shape his people. Now, you actually, sometimes it, it helps to come to the third service because we actually have watched more of this video now than in the previous services. And they, they told me that in the earlier services, I was just kind of talking and this was going on. We never got to this part. And um, someone told me that they were frustrated because they didn't know what he was making. And uh, you get to see what he was making and that's just about the finished product there. He's making a bowl. So uh, there you go. What we know is that God loves his people. And everything that the potter, the heavenly father does in shaping people for purpose and character is out of love. There's no ulterior motive there. And maybe you're here today and you've experienced a discouragement, you've experienced a setback, you might even describe it as backsliding, and you are here because you desire for your heavenly father to do a restart in your life. Jeremiah 18 verses five and six, then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Now God the Father, he gives us, he is in control, but at the same time, he gives us the ability to make choices. He gives us free will. The Old Testament proverb instructs human parents to train up children 
in the way that they should go. And Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, specifically to parents, bring up children in discipline and instruction in the Lord. Both of these verses talk about a parent's responsibility to shape character and purpose in their children so that someday they can function without their parent doing everything for them. Our Heavenly Father, much in the same way, desires this for his children, desires that we will be shaped for purpose, that we will be shaped in character. And God's authority, God's authority and God's control means that he is ultimately in charge of the outcome of history. And also, God gives us free will to make choices and decisions along the way. A lot of us would say we've already made a lot of decisions today. But here's the point. God gives us free will and he gives us choices. Yes, but no act, no act of human free will will derail God's plan for history. There's nothing that any single person, there's nothing that any group can do, there's nothing that any nation can do that will stop God's purposes from ultimately being fulfilled. Jesus is coming back, and there's nothing that any person, group, or nation can do to stop that plan of our Heavenly Father Father, from coming to pass. Verses 9 and 10, so man, the Lord is just pouring into Jeremiah as he's watching this guy make pottery. And if any time I declare concerning a nation, the Lord says, or a kingdom, that I will build and plant it, I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do in it. So catch this, when God builds something, when God starts something, when God plants something in in your life, when God cultivates something in your life, he plans, he intends for good to come out of it. God's plan is always for good. Yet if it is in our hands, if it is in our care, and we take what God intends for good, and we take it in a direction that moves it toward evil, the Lord says, I will remove my hands from it. I will remove my hands from it. I will relent, the Lord says, of the good that I had intended to come of this. As Jeremiah is there watching the potter do his work, God continues to speak to him. Verse 11, now therefore, say to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. Many of us would say from personal experience that we have experienced the disaster in life, the hurt, the pain, and the regret that comes from doing things our way instead of God's way. And that's what God says is about to happen here. But even in that, we see God's mercy. Because God says, return every one of you from his evil way. There's still time. There's still time to turn. But do it now. Do it now. God continues to extend this opportunity to you today, an invitation to turn from living against him and turn toward living toward him. And look how Jeremiah summarizes the response of people more than 2,500 years ago. Verse 12, but they say, in response to everything Jeremiah's laid out, they say, that is in vain. We will follow our own plans. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lord. We will follow our own plans. And 
Will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart? Now, we'd like to think that maybe we've improved over 2,500 plus years, but we would still say that even today, there's a lot of people around us, and maybe even some of us would say us, that we struggle with a stubborn heart. So the main point is this. God is the potter who desires to shape our character and purpose. God is the potter who desires to shape our character and purpose. And how often do we get this upside down? How often do we get this upside down where we actually would prefer that we are the potter and we are trying to shape God into who we want God to be? Maybe you've heard the phrase, uh, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Now, I don't pretend to speak for everyone who's ever said that, but I think that that phrase, I'm spiritual, but not religious, that phrase can be a cover for people who desire to be the potter and to shape God into who they want God to be. And they want to determine what is sin and what is not sin. And they want to determine what is for God and what is, and they want to determine how the path to heaven. And that's not what I'm reading here. I'm reading that God is the potter and he desires to shape us for his character and purpose. Not that we are supposed to be the potter to create a God that we, that is most comfortable and convenient for us. Now in our closing moments together, I also think it's important to point out that this statement, this reality that God is in control, it's not an excuse for laziness or indifference. Like, I'm just going to sit back. Well, God is in control, so I don't need to do anything. God's got this. I'm just going to not do anything. No, God has designed you to be part of his work. He wants to work in you and through you. He's created you for a purpose. He's, he's shaping you so that you can be part of what he's doing. He, invi- he can do it all on his own, but he's inviting you to be part of his purposes. <coughs> Let me illustrate it this way. When you leave the parking lot today, if you are driving, please put your hands on the steering wheel. God's in control. No, put your hands on the steering wheel. I mean this practically and spiritually. God has given you the ability to put your hands on the steering wheel. Yes, he's in control, but God has given you the ability to be part of his purposes. So God sends Jeremiah to an unspiritual place to receive a spiritual message. Maybe you'd say that you come to the Lord today or you come to this house and you'd say that you have a hard heart or you have done your very best to show the world a very tough exterior. But what the Holy Spirit is revealing today is that this, all this effort that you have put out there to give the facade of a very, uh, of toughness is actually just a cover for some very deep insecurity. And and the Lord is saying, I want to soften. I want to soften who you are so that I can shape you to be sturdier than you ever thought possible. Maybe you are a follower of Christ today. Yet you would confess that Man, I am just, I find myself, I I don't, I don't even like this about myself, but I constantly catch myself trying to control everything and everybody. And I can actually tell that it is frustrating people around me. And I want to stop living my life trying to control everything and everybody. 
And God is speaking to you today about a freedom where every outcome is not your responsibility. All those outcomes that you are trying to control, the Lord is saying they're not all your responsibility. And all those burdens that you are trying to carry for everyone else, the Lord is saying those are not all your burdens to carry. God cares and he has time. And, and, and he may apply some pressure. And our first reaction might be to resist. But we trust that as he works in our life, that he will over time reveal purpose and a plan. <clears throat> that, that bowl that we watched the potter making. The potter saw the finished product while it was still a lump of clay. And maybe today what you're struggling with is an anxiety or an anxiousness that you want the plan to come to pass now. You have a promise and you want it to see, realize now. And what the Lord is speaking to you today is that you need to be patient. You need to be patient that he is going to reveal to you the plan at just the right time, at just the right moment. Maybe you've been to a place where you've actually seen someone creating pottery like this or some other craftsman. And, and I just picture like a, a, a place where there's tourists and people are gathered around watching a craftsman create. And, and when in the early stages of watching someone make something, what do the people around the craftsman say to each other? What do you say to your family? I wonder what she's making. I wonder what that is going to be. I wonder what the end product will look like. But you have to watch with patience. And sometimes you're like, well, who knows? We're going to go on. And other times you would, stand, you would stand there and you'd watch the whole thing happen and eventually become the finished product. And maybe today you're asking your heavenly father, Lord, I sense that you are doing something. I can see that you are shaping my character. I see that you are shaping my purpose. And I'm not sure what it is for. And what the Lord is saying to you is simply allow the Lord to continue to work and to shape. And at the right moment, he's going to reveal what that is all for. All right, last thing is this. Some of you have visited like ancient, civil ancient civilizations. You've been to like Israel or maybe you've been to places in Mexico or South America where they have these archaeological digs of ancient cultures and what almost always stands the test of time what do they almost always find in these ancient digs of ancient civilizations pottery <clears throat> isn't it incredible that what starts off as basically mud from the ground after it is shaped by a craftsman, after a potter, that of everything that has disappeared, the pottery remains. The, the work of the potter remains. So of all that we could devote our lives to, when we allow our life to be shaped and crafted, by the potter we are used for purposes that will not fade 
but will last for eternity. If you're able, would you stand with me? Lord, we're thankful that we can come together and study your word. We're thankful that we can laugh together and also that we can be challenged together as we unpack stories. Some of these stories are so familiar to us. We've, many of us have heard them since we were children, like Jeremiah and his field trip to the potter's house. Lord, but we believe that you have spoken to us in ways that are new and refreshing today and challenging. Lord, so we invite you. We invite you to move and shape in our life. Father, for some of us right now, we are surrendering. We're, that we would say that we've given 90% of our life over to the Lord, but there's 10% that we've said, Lord, uh, don't touch this. Leave that lump of clay. And we're actually inviting you, Father, to essentially pick up whatever it is that we've held back from you and to bring it into what you're creating, to, to work that into the pot, to, to bring a softness and a flexibility to what we have withheld from you. Lord, I believe you're speaking to those who have become anxious because they want to see whatever it is. They want to see the promise now. And what you're speaking to them today is, if it's from me, it will come to pass in my timing. And you're asking them right now to trust you, that you have a plan, that you have a purpose, and they may not see it now, but you're asking them to trust that you see it, Father, and that it will be revealed at just the right time. Maybe today you'd say, I come into this house of worship and I come in broken. I come in and I feel useless. I feel like I have tried to shape my own life and it ends up just being a pottery mess. So you're saying today, I don't want to do that anymore. Instead of trying to shape it all for myself, I want to put my life in the hands of the potter. You want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, the first time decision or a recommitment. If that's you, it's time to pray to your heavenly father. And it has to come from you. I can't do it for you. It's time for you to say, Father, I come to you as the potter. I come to you as the potter. I've tried to do it on my own. I've tried to shape everything myself and it just ends up becoming a mess. You're saying, I don't know what to do with my sin, but now I do know what to do with my sin. I bring it to you and I place myself in your hands. I place myself in your hands, Father. Tell God I receive your son, Jesus Christ, as Lord of my life. Jesus, you are my savior. You are my hope. You are my grace, you are my mercy, you are my forgiveness. Father, I surrender myself to you like clay in the potter's hands, desiring that you would mold me and shape me to become like your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for new life in the house today. <clears throat> in our 10 o'clock service, we saw eight people be baptized in water. Sign of new life in Christ. And Father, for the one who is receiving new life in Christ today, we know that there is rejoicing in the heavens. There is rejoicing in the heavens when even one sinner repents. And we join in that rejoicing today. Thankful, Father, for your son, Jesus Christ. It's all of us. All of us. It's our desire to be shaped and molded in character and purpose to be more like your son, Jesus. 
We pray that this week's message has been practical, encouraging, and challenging. Let us know if you made a first-time commitment or recommitment to following Christ. Visit peopleschurch.com and click Connect to share your decision with us. There is great value in being a part of a Christ-centered, Bible-teaching faith community. If you are looking for a church home, Pastor Tom Murray invites you to People's Church in Salem. Sunday morning and evening worship services, group Bible studies, relevant engaging activities for kids and youth in safe, secure environments. Watch messages anytime or plan your visit at peopleschurch.com.